yeah, amazing or to have low symptoms and yeah, maximum health. That's yeah, the key thing. If you can, yeah, live every day, you know, feeling the best that you, you know, possibly can, you know, and everyone's different and situational, but yeah, I think I feel very yeah, blessed and lucky to, you know, be in a position that I'm in. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for supporting our program and thank you for putting your health first and setting really ambitious objectives for where you want to get to with your health and with your life. Because we didn't choose to have this autoimmune condition that puts so much pressure and challenge into our life, but we can choose how we're going to make decisions each day that can influence positively our condition and to take us tiny step by tiny step closer to where we dream of getting to. And in doing so, it's inspiring for other people. Other people are watching you make positive changes, see progress, see your enthusiasm, even against the challenges, and it really can uplift other people's lives. And today's story is going to be another example of that. Uh, Alana is joining me today. She was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis at 11 years old. And we've only chatted for a couple of minutes here. This is going to be fresh and new for me to hear Alana's story. And I look forward to uh, sharing it with you as we listen together. So Alana, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to finally see you face to face over and yeah, be a part of this call. It's amazing. You mentioned that you've seen a few of these in the past. Yeah, I've followed you for, I reckon, about six, seven years almost, you know, I would yeah, see it online, do some more research and see your program and watch people's videos just for that bit of hope and inspiration. And yeah, it's yeah hard to believe that I'm here now talking to you. It's just, yeah, come full 360 and yeah, hard to believe really. <laughs> well, it, I do hear that story sometimes and it's some of the most fun interviews because it just goes to show that persistence and time and effort and attention, right? So by applying attention to listening to healing stories, it's teaching your brain that that is what I want in my life. And even occasionally picturing doing this interview is something that's telling your brain, I want to be a inspiration or even I just want to have some positive results to share with others. And it helps to align your mind and your actions so that you get to where you want to get to. And your story, I've got only the bullet points but give us the quick before and after here or give us the situation that you're in right now compared to, say, you know, when you were in really struggling. Yeah, I guess, yeah, to sum it up, I was diagnosed at the age of 11 um, with JIA, as you mentioned, and a really sporty kid. I always, you know, did everything, basketball, athletics. I was doing all of that, you know, very competitive, love to do my best, try my hardest always. And 
Yeah, and then, you know, being so sporty, I remember a specific day when it all happened and it's funny that day is really stuck in my head. You know, you sort of remember bits from when you're small and a child, but this day really stuck in my head. I was at an athletics um, sort of junior development meet and um, I remember running and it just felt off and I felt off that day. And um, I ended up going over to my parents and saying, I can't continue, like I need to go home. I feel off. I can't run. It was strange. and. yeah, from then on, the diagnosis took a while to happen because I have I've always had seronegative um, arthritis. So the diagnosis took a while to happen, but then it yeah it all came out that I yeah had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and yeah lots of pain. A doctor said to me that I wouldn't necessarily be able to run again. Um, when I was eleven, he told me and my family that, and you know my parents were yeah very emotional about that and you know being a sporty child that's the last thing you want to hear yeah so took a lot of you know exercising and then I was on the methotrexate for quite a few years there um, to get things you know my motion back and my movement back to some sort of normality yeah so I was on methotrexate for quite a few years till I was 14 and then started weaning off the methotrexate you know was given that opportunity by my rheumatologist um, so started weaning off the methotrexate, got to a very, very low dose and ended up actually coming off the methotrexate between the ages of 14 and 17, um, which was, you know, amazing because, um, you know, you don't want to be on any medication that you don't need to be on, I guess. A question there. Yeah. Well, f- first of all, a comment. I once attended a, a presentation by Arthritis New South Wales for which I was involved for a little while and there was a speaker and he was... Uh, uh, very young, uh, very well-spoken, um, juvenile idiopathic arthritis child. And um, he talked about how, you know, sometimes you do, in inverted commas, grow out of it. And he was hoping that he would be one of those. Uh, and you could feel like, the, oh, in the room, you know, this young boy. And I've never seen the statistics or the data on that. And I need to educate myself better in that area. But were you ever told that you may grow out of this or that this could go away on its own? Yes, the doctor that I did end up seeing at the room at the Royal Children's Hospital, um, he was quite open to me eventually we- trying to wean off it and, you know, trying to get me off methotrexate, which was amazing because, you know, not all doctors are open to that. So, yeah, it was amazing to have that opportunity. But, yes, um, so I heard that from him that, you know, it's, possible to go out of it but you know they would sort of say it's it's very rare yeah we don't see many patients come in that do grow out of it essentially but you know once myself and my family heard that I was like you know well I want to grow out of it like you know like the other guy that you said um and that was sort of the aim then so yeah from 14 to 17 I was very lucky to yeah essentially grow out of it in those you know 10 years of of growing and developing yeah And so during 14 to 17 off methotrexate, did you still experience symptoms? It's hard to remember, isn't it, to flash Mm. back then, you know, it's 10 years or so ago. I was pretty lucky that I didn't, when I did come off it, yeah, I would experience pretty well no symptoms um, at that point. Yeah, and my inflammation, like my swelling um, to look at was always quite low. Besides my hands, nothing else really um, was visibly swollen. So, you know, that's why it sort of took a while for them to diagnose me because it was really just me saying, I'm in pain, I'm sore. So that was the only way that, yeah, because of seronegative, it doesn't show up in blood tests. 
yeah, so then 14 to 17, that was nice to not be on medication and just sort of live those few years and get back into sport and running and everything. Yeah, and then I guess 17 to 18, you know, year 12, a stressful year. You know, I was always quite hard on myself as a kid, I think, just always trying my best, but really ambitious and determined. And yeah, so 17 to 18, I started getting symptoms back. And I remember I was working at a cafe. I was doing late night shifts at a cafe as well as school. Um, You know, not overly pushing myself, but yeah, just doing that part-time job as well. And yeah, I think the stress and exhaustion from that year, you know, potentially kicked the inflammation into gear again. And I managed, um, you know, I started getting symptoms again and pain in my hands majority, but feet, knees, you know, elbows, shoulders, sort of an all over, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, inflammation. I think, you know, this is a good little sort of, you know, red flag for everyone to, to pay attention to is that you had this homeostasis, you were in balance and then just leaned on it like leaning on our kids always play with magnetiles, you know, and they build up these big towers, but then you, you just lean on a little bit and the whole thing collapses. Right. So we're like that. And, and we get into these nice equilibrium states, but then that, that, as you say, applying more demands on your body, probably reduced stress, uh, sorry, increased uh, stress, reduced sleep. And then the body is just, I just can't quite, rest and repair as much as I need to. How was your diet at that point? Yeah, looking back, you know, it's definitely not anywhere near as it is now in terms of it's not, you know, it wasn't plant-based. I wasn't eating as many whole foods as I should have. You know, I was a healthy kid. I was, as I said, sporty and healthy in that in that sense. But, you know, I think I was just, yeah, my diet probably wasn't, yeah, as healthy as it could have been. Probably a few processed foods and things in the mix. But just sort of any average Australian, you know, teen growing up, the same sort of diet. And I guess, you know, coming into that period of 17 to 18, you know, that's alcohol, I guess, came into the picture when, you know, that wouldn't have been a part of my life earlier. So that could have been a potential trigger as well. So, yeah, it it wasn't, you know, whole food, whole food, plant-based, you know, avoiding processed foods and things. So, yeah, a lot different to it is now. Yeah. So, after the symptoms started and at 18 years old, uh, you then were probably, uh, now that takes us back uh, 10 years because you're 28. Certainly by like Enbrel came out something like 20 years ago. So um, mm. what did you, what, what were the doctors talking about then? Because, you know, sometimes there's a reluctance to go back onto uh, say a methotrexate, although, you know, I'm sure that was a suggestion uh, at that point. Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. Um, so I did go back on methotrexate. Um, I think they saw it as the best option because I never had, I was very lucky. I never had any side effects with methotrexate, um, which was amazing. So I went back on methotrexate for quite a few years there, you know, at least, well, what was it? Five years or so. Um, yeah. So it was just methotrexate literally, and it seemed to kick in and do the trick, you know, during that period. But yeah, I still never felt quite a hundred percent, but I was pretty close while I was on the medication. I was quite lucky to, you know, have most of my symptoms eliminated or sort of masked by the medication, if you might say. <laughs> it's um, it's an interesting observation that when we're on the medications, we quite often still have the sort of um, 
you know, a little bit of niggle here, a little bit of niggle there, something not quite right there. Uh, what were those problem areas for you? Yeah, it would just, I think with little bits of stress that would come up in life and nothing major, just, you know, just living, just life things, you know, I would just get niggly hands and in the weather, my hands, you know, I loved running. So that was my thing. I would run quite a lot, you know, out in the streets and um, I would just notice my hands sort of blow up or just feel achy. And in the mornings, yeah, waking up, just feeling quite tired, you know, after a good night's sleep, but still feeling tired and then a little bit, yeah, sore. But yeah, in that time though, methotrexate did, you know, for majority of it work very well for me. Um, mm. So yeah, I was very lucky. So I know that you went on to Humira eventually. How mm. did that end up happening? What was the sequence of events? Yeah, that's probably the most prominent couple of years that has stuck in my head, you know, or the most um, prominent memories I have of recent, you know, proper pain in my joints mm. um, because, yeah, not much memory of it as a kid. I think mum and dad were probably almost more affected in a way than I was as a kid, you know, because I emotionally probably didn't understand quite what was happening being so young. But, yeah, so I was on the methotrexate and then it actually stopped working for me. So um, my body, you know, almost started like rejecting it and I sort of blew out into a full yeah, full inflammation in all the joints um, that had happened previous. And at the time I, yeah, I was looking into holistic medicine and I was seeing a, a naturopath. He was, you know, giving me tinctures and supplements and I was on lots of different things. I was seeing a Chinese, Chinese acupuncture um, and on some Chinese herbal medicine. I'd seen a dietitian by this point. I'd sort of, by this point, I'd really done quite a lot of research and was trying to find the best thing or, you know, the thing that I could potentially get to work for me aside from medication. So I did that and I sort of pushed through trying to do those things whilst the methotrexate stopped working for, I think, over six months. And then it just it just got too much, to be honest. And I, um, I got to a point and I said, yeah, I went to the doctor and I said, I, yeah, I need to be on something else. I need medication, you know, nothing else is actually working at this point. And then the doctor, you know, my specialist suggested um, Humira as one of the biologic drugs. Um, and I went home and did some research about that for a couple of weeks and sort of sat on it because I wasn't entirely comfortable. I hadn't really heard of Humira. You know, I was frightened to go onto a new drug and, you know, you sort of do your own Google and it's never sort of some nice things that are on there you read and it's quite horrifying sometimes. But but, you know, I was at a point I really needed to be on medication and I think, yeah, when our body needs it, yeah, it's a miracle that we have all these options of medication. So, yeah, and then eventually went to the doctor and, yeah, signed off and started my Humira journey. Yeah, and that was interesting because the doctor or my specialist had recommended to stay on the, metho stay on the methotrexate whilst I start the Humira. That's sort of how they transi transition it. Um, so I did that for quite a few months I was on both of them um, and then that just didn't sit well for, with me because I as far as I knew I was like well the methotrexate stopped working so I don't really know why I'm still taking it so then you know quite a you know maybe four or five months down the track I went into the specialist and I said I do not want to be on methotrexate I would like to stop it and see what happens and I was very lucky um, in that I did stop it you know I slowly sort of weaned off it and yeah, nothing changed. So the Humira by that point had kicked in and worked very, very well for me. 
without the methotrexate as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's often a discussion around whether or not methotrexate should be used in conjunction with the biologic drug. There's studies that suggest that perhaps the effectiveness of the the outcome is improved by doing both. But, you know, if you look at a sort of a uh, cost benefit as a patient, right, forget about the statistics. But Mm. if we think of it as a patient, let's say Humira got us to like 80% let's even be generous, let's say Humira got it, got us to 90% symptom-free and the methotrexate addition took it to 95%. From a patient perspective, do you really want that extra 5% when you're then adding a methotrexate dose each week? Mm. Yeah, um, and that yeah. was, yeah, I tossed it up you know, even going on Humira for so long, I can remember driving mm-hmm. to the specialist. Mum and I were in the car. We were both quite emotional about the whole thing. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. calling, um, I think it was the, it's like uh, Arthritis Australia hotline or mm-hmm. we actually, on the mm-hmm. way, we made some calls. I was like, I need to yeah. find out as much right. as I can before I, you know, yeah. go on Humira. I was quite scared about it. But, yeah, very lucky that it ended up working out. And I think, yeah, like you say, Humira, really did its job for me. I was very lucky um, and quite quickly it kicked in um, okay, and then like I felt very week, good. Like within uh, a week? Probably two weeks, yeah, okay, I, yeah. Yeah, and quite quickly it worked and then, yeah, I, I was feeling very good again um, quite soon to the point where, I, yeah, I really felt symptom-free. Um, and that's when, you know, I said, well, why am I on methotrexate? I'd, I'd like to just try, you know, wean off it and see what happens. Did you notice an energy increase after coming off the methotrexate? I found methotrexate to add a lot of sort of just this feeling of heaviness and I was tired all the time on methotrexate. It does come up a lot with folks inside our support group too that there is a fatigue effect. Uh, Did you ever have that? I think because I was on it for so long, I probably got Mm. used to feeling fatigued as part of, you know, normal life. Um, so it's hard to kind of pinpoint, you know, whether, yeah, coming off it, you know, I really felt much more energetic, but I think, you know, in combination of maybe getting off that and, you know, becoming plant-based, really focusing on my foods and my gut, I think, you know, my energy for the last sort of, you know, three years has just been amazing and the best I've ever felt. So um, I think that probably, yeah, speaks for itself in a way, but I think, yeah, I was on methotrexate for so long. It's yeah, I think I just probably got yeah. used to that feeling, to be honest. But yeah, underlying nausea and things like that were sort of part of, you know, every day for a while there. Yeah. Mm. So probably people are wondering now, well, if, you know, symptoms were completely controlled on Humira, um, it sounds like, you know, you've done quite well over these years taking various medications. And this is a great story in terms of successful rheumatology treatment. So, you know, how come you're on here chatting to me? Like what, what what changed and when did your diet come into play and are you still taking medication and so on? That's what the next part of this conversation will be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 2017 was probably, yeah, when I last was in that motion of a lot of pain, uh, switching medications and at that time, my sister and I, I have a twin sister, um, and we were both very heavily into trying to educate ourselves. She was helping me a lot. My family, very supportive, you know, 
we found the Patterson program. We were looking up, um, you know, your story online. And then there was quite a few other, you know, similar stories and, you know, programs around the world that we started to research and about diet and all these things. So by that point, I think it was 2017, my sister said, well, I'm going to go vegan. And and she said, you're doing it with me. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's do it. And, you know, I think I need the extra support to do it with someone is a lot easier than on your own. So that was quite funny. And then, you know, we were both living at home at the time and yeah, just making those changes with um, our food and what we were consuming, what we were snacking on, you know, mum was cooking majority of the time then. So that was interesting, but you know, my whole family was on board and, you know, mum was willing to, yeah, change meals, but we were never huge, you know, meat eaters or we didn't eat lots of processed foods or things. It was just a matter of sort of you know, finding those replacements, I think that's that was sort of the thing that made it easy for me or easier, but it did take time. You know, we did it gradually over probably a year, just, you know, getting there eventually. But, yeah, it was amazing to have my sister to do it with. And then, yeah, we went vegan, gave it a go, and then as time went on, I found myself getting quite passionate about food and eating that way. Yeah, I really enjoyed it in that way. It, it was really making me feel good and quite energetic. Um, and then, yeah, we started introducing, you know, smoothies every morning to our diet, you know, even a couple of years prior to that we were. Um, my mum, a bit of a side little note, but my mum had Crohn's disease and she has also healed herself, you know, through juicing and smoothies and, yeah, and this same sort of diet that we've done so of background story there but anyway um (laughs) anyway so we yeah together we all sort of went on that journey and started eating eating well together and juicing and yeah looking up your program and I did start your program probably year and a half two years ago I gave it a really good crack I thought you know I had sort of a month or so and I thought this is a good month you know it was tricky to pick a time that would be suitable around uni and everything else that I was doing at the time Um, but I, you know, I picked a moment and I, I had a good crack at it. And yeah, during that time, as I said, I felt, I actually felt, you know, probably 90, 95% well on the drugs. Like I was very lucky. I felt symptom free, but, you know, I think you've mentioned it in one of your podcasts or before that, you know, there was no better time for me to try and heal my gut than when I was feeling so good like that. So I really tried to utilize that time, um, to, yeah, do the Patterson program, you know, go on a vegan plant-based diet. It was tricky because I couldn't, I actually had nothing to measure against. You know, I couldn't measure these results against my bloods, my, you know, seronegative. I couldn't, you know, I felt so good. So I didn't wake up feeling any better necessarily, but I just thought, you know, I need to give this a go because I need to heal myself from the inside out. Yeah, so that's what we did. And yeah, I was celery juicing, you know, every morning, celery and cucumber juice for probably a year and a half, two years there, um, you know, bless my family, like getting up, helping me. And, you know, my sister was on it in the end, you know, everyone's contributing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, those kind of things have become staples in my diet today and smoothies are my favourite thing. I start every day with, a, you know, water and smoothie and, you know, not just that, but, you know, all the healthy fruits and veggies and adding greens always to my diet, you know, every meal having greens, fresh salads things like that. But yeah, doing your program, I think really instilled some 
lessons into, you know, my diet that I've taken with me um, and I use every day because, yeah, you know, I can remember going to my partner's house at the time and taking, you know, he was living with his parents and I took my little container and had my buckwheat and sweet potato and bok choy <laughs> and they're all looking at me like, what's going on here? And I said, just just give me a month or so, I need to do this. <laughs> um, so that was quite funny. But, yeah, I think it was an important time for me to give that a good crack and, yeah, that was sort of that part. <laughs> I don't think um, you can truly say that you've embraced the Patterson program until you've had people look at your food <laughs> in total disbelief. Yeah, un- literally. Un- <laughs> until you've shocked family members, mm. you haven't quite embraced it fully enough. Yeah. And until you start like really enjoying that crunch of the bok choy and going, this is actually delicious, then you know you're on the Patterson program. <laughs> if you've ever said to yourself when you hear the snap of celery, oh, that's enzymes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you, you haven't quite, you haven't, you're not there yet. Um, are, are we, oh, the looks that I had one time on a plane, I'll never forget. So I'm eating the, the two green mix, you know, the buckwheat quinoa. Yeah. And it had seaweed all stirred into it. And I'd ask yeah. for boiling water or hot water from one of the weights, or what do you call them, like the flight stewardess. And she yeah. brought me a cup of hot water and I pour it over so that I warm the thing up and I mix the sea- dry seaweed in with it so that it softens it all up. Mm. And and it was like constant double takes from the person next to me, just trying the trying to create some kind of knowledge in their mind of what exactly is that 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 guy's yeah. eating because it's so different. And uh, um, and I just found it really, really like quietly satisfying and entertaining. Mm. And I never, I never told them. Like I just mm. let let it just be weird. And yeah. I just. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Seaweed, yeah. a little container of yeah. Celtic salt. Just... <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Very funny. People look at me like I'm a freak and then like I'm thinking about how long is that person going to live, they're, what they're eating, you know what I mean? So yeah, um, you know, yeah exactly. we're all just on our different thought processes. It's very funny. Oh, so yeah. funny. You know, those planes are a mixing, melting pot of weird, different people. You don't know who you're going to be sitting next to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, very funny. So, but obviously, you mentioned a partner. Uh, he he um, was supportive and, and uh, didn't think, wow, this chick Alana's lost the plot. He stuck with <laughs> you and he, um, he was uh, there and, and accommodating to what you needed to, to test and try and learn. Yeah, which is amazing. I live with um, my partner, Sam, now. So, yeah, that was a couple of years back when I gave all that a crack and he, yeah, was super supportive. And it's funny because he's never he's never actually really seen me in pain, um, you know, or suffering because, um, you know, he came, came along just after, you know, I started Humira. So, um, right. yeah, so I've sort of, you know, briefed him on the journey and filled him in and, yeah, he's entirely supportive and amazing. And, yeah, I think he actually, yeah, is very beneficial to my recovery in a way sort of grounds me and brings me down to earth and um yeah yeah it's it's the um it's the future buy-in to your dream that you need from your partner and loved ones and doctor it doesn't matter if they eat the same way that's small levels of friction right if you need to take turns with making the using the pot that's small levels of friction the yeah. largest levels of friction is if they deep down 
think that you're kidding yourself. That's mm. where that's where that relationship will genuinely interfere with your long-term outcome. Oh, so, but yeah. if the partner, even if they think it's hilarious, they think it's funny, they think it's silly, but if they share your vision of the future, you're fine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it just made it so much easier for me to give yeah. all that a go, you know, whilst we're in a relationship. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now tell us about uh tell us about an abscess and yes. having to come <laughs> off Humira. I want to hear about that. Yeah. Um, because people yeah. right now are still wondering, so you know, what's going on then? Uh, you yeah. know, what am I, you know, what else are we gonna learn here? How did how are you managing now? Is it just with the drugs? What 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 happened? Yeah. Um, so I can, yeah, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't very funny at the time. Um, I think as a slight side effect from my Humira, I was getting a bit of filiculitis, um, you know, and some skin infections. And I was just getting a couple of what looked like little pimples around my sort of bottom. Um, and then one of them turned into um, an abscess. So, which, yeah, needed to, you know, be operated on in the end. Um, so I went into hospital um, it was actually my birthday last year and I woke up in the hospital <laughs> after my operation and, and yeah, so that all happened. And then I had to contact my rheumatologist because of course, you know, it was in risk, risk of a large infection and I already had somewhat an infection um, and being on Humira, you know, you can't be on Humira whilst there's any sign of infection. So yeah, I spoke to my rheumatologist and they said, yeah, you need to stop your Humira immediately. Don't take your next dose. Um, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Um, so I stopped my Humira while I was recovering from this abscess and then, yeah, a couple of weeks went by. So I was on Humira fortnightly, um, the injection, and, yeah, a couple of weeks went by, um, didn't feel any different, went to my rheumatologist I think a week or two later and he said, you know, we'll just sit on it, see how you feel, come back in a month I think it was. And then I went back after the abscess healed up a bit more and again I felt no different and I went in and I said well you know what's the plan what what do you think and he's amazing and he said you know well we'll persist like this and see how you go and then I went back and visited him in September last year so that was July that I took my last dose of Humira and then September last year I went back to my rheumatologist again not feeling any different and he said um well, that's amazing. And if you're not feeling any pain or, you know, any symptoms at all, well, why would we put you back on it? So see how you go. And yeah, you may be in some kind of remission. And he said, you know, we have no guarantee around how long this could last. He said it could last a month. It could last 10 years. Um, I think he said he had a patient that was felt like this for seven years and then came back in with symptoms again. But he said, you know, whilst you're feeling like this, yeah, we'll see you in a year. So I'm not booked in till yeah, September this year, which is amazing. Yeah, certainly is. So you have therefore, given that we're recording this uh, sort of mid-February, uh, you've been off of Humira for seven months, around yeah. seven months, mm -hmm. and you are absolutely symptom-free as if you had been still taking Humira. Yep, 100% symptom-free. Um going to the gym three, four times a week, going on 10K runs, feeling no different. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel the strongest I've ever felt and, you know, the most en energetic I've felt, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah hard to believe. But without that chance of, you know, 
giving it a go off the Humira, I may not have ever known. And it's it's funny because the two the sort of the last two years that I was on the Humira, I remember saying to my family, I like I feel so good. Like I think I could have healed myself. I would really like to try wean off my medication. And I was saying this for probably a year and a half to my partner. And you know, how can I try and wean off it? And I brought it up with my doctor quite a few times. And he sort of said, oh, well, you know, if you stop it, you know, you may not be able to come back on it eventually. Your body might reject it. It's a big risk, et cetera. So we left it. Um, it's They sort of say, you know, don't rock the apple cart. You feel so good. Why would you rock the apple cart? And part of me was like, yeah, you know, I agree. I do feel really good. But then, yeah, I, it's like part of me knew for, I reckon, two years, I was like, I feel so good. And I can almost convinced myself that I'd healed um, kind of what we're talking about earlier about the mindset and, you know, manifesting, I'd manifested healing and I'd pictured it and coming off the medication, I'd, I'd really envisioned it. And, you know, talking to you, like the whole thing, I'd, I'd imagine the whole thing. And I think it, that plays a huge part to recovery as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, you know, I've just gotten back into it as well. Like, you know, life gets in the way of the discipline of visualization, goal setting, and so on. Uh, but I've just gotten back into it. So I've gone to bed an extra 20 minutes uh, earlier each night and and I sit and I I picture the outcomes that I want. Some really trivial, you know, things like, you know, having the book, having my book sitting on the bedside table next to me and things like the things I'm working on from a business point of view. Yeah. And then, you know, family related things and all sorts of stuff. But it's extremely powerful. And if people are curious about this and want to know what we can do about it, listen to any interview that I've done with Dr. Nisha Manek, who's a rheumatologist who's on our monthly support calls for our members. And her interview in our summit, the 2021 Rheumatoid Solutions Summit, was absolutely brilliant. So if you haven't watched it yet and you bought the summit, go and watch that talk. It's a wonderful 50 minutes. It's just it tells us how to do all this and the science behind it. The science is there to show us that what we visualize, we can help create in our lives. It, and it's a, like the most exciting tool. And we're all a little bit sort of eh about it because it takes time. And it's not like, you know, it, uh, it, it's not as instantly gratifying, is it? It, it requires the discipline. And, and then you slowly observe things coming to you in a more subtle way as opposed to the instant gratification world that we're, we're used to at the moment. Yeah, so, exactly. So tell me, um, what, what do your family think about this situation? I mean, is there, a, is there a cautious optimism that maybe you'll be off meds for a little while or is there just an overwhelming sense of happiness in the family for you? Yeah, I think an overwhelming sense of happiness, yeah, sort of um, sums it up pretty good. Yeah, everyone's really, really happy and um, I think relieved in a way just yeah, for me to have as much time as I can off medication and hopefully for a long, long time. And, you know, I sort of say to myself, hopefully that's forever. So, but I've also come to terms with the fact that, you know, it is there medication is there if I need it. And that's so amazing. And, you know, it does serve its purpose when we need it. And I think that's really important. And for a long time I had to, um, yeah, put myself into a positive mindset about the medication because I was taking it and to think negatively about it, you know, again, you know, taking, it's like eating a burger and, you know, which isn't a bad thing at all. But if you are eating it and thinking negatively about it, yeah, it's really, that can become quite toxic. So 
yeah, um, the family are just, yeah, ecstatic. And I think for me personally, I do probably have, you know, some underlying health anxiety and I think have for some time just because of um, my whole journey, but which is natural. Um, but yeah, so I just try to be as optimistic and positive about it all as possible and yeah, and try not to worry too much. But I think, you know, every time, you know, I might have some alcohol or, you know, go out or something a little bit, you know, you can't help but sort of go, oh gosh, I hope I haven't overdone it. You know, it is a worry that you sort of hold in the back of your mind constantly. Um, but gosh, I feel amazing and I feel symptom free hundred percent and I couldn't ask for anything more at the moment. And like my family and I were saying, even if it lasts for six months, a year, how amazing is that, you know, like to have that time off medication feeling that good. Yeah. And I really waited six months before I told anyone that I was off medication feeling that good because I didn't want to jinx it. Didn't want to jump the gun. And yeah. Yeah. So many wise decisions that you've made throughout this whole process. I have people saying to me, I want to come on and share my story on your podcast. Um, you know, I got off methotrexate, you know, six, eight weeks ago and I'm thinking, settle down, you know, it takes like days, a few, yeah. yeah, like we don't even know how you're going to be looking in like a few months. And, and also, you know, we don't sort of sell, we, I don't really just want to celebrate, uh, coming off a drug just because it, what we're trying to celebrate here, the, the main emphasis with stories that we want to share is maximum health and mm. therefore minimum symptoms. And with yeah. minimum symptoms, we might not need as much supplements of these anti-inflammatories that we're taking. We might not need as much daily painkillers. And yeah, we might not need as frequent injections, or we may, in your case, for example, be managing perfectly without them at all. But the objective is not no meds. That's a exactly. wonderful, it's a wonderful yeah. outcome. If the rheumatologist and your symptoms all align, you know, absolutely. Yeah, but maximum yeah. health. See, that's the thing. So you were on the Humira, but then you completely went microbiome supportive and yeah. you're juicing and your exercise returned fully. Your, uh, you know, you're into your smoothies, lots of greens, and, you know, you had all the support around you. You're thinking about a, a, a positive outcome or a compelling future. And uh, you did all of the healthy things which is the real celebration. And mm, mm. that's that's where our attention should be because that's what we can control with our hands and mouth each day, what goes in. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And, you know, even if I was, like I said, still on medication, the, yeah, that's amazing and it was, it was working so well for me. And, yeah, like I say, to be symptom-free and, you know, implementing all those things in my life to keep up my health and to be symptom-free, that's yeah, amazing. Or to have low symptoms and yeah, maximum health. That's yeah, the key thing. If you can, yeah, live every day, you know, feeling the best that you, you know, possibly can, you know, and everyone's different and situational, but yeah, I think I feel very yeah, blessed and lucky to, you know, be in a position that I'm in. One thing that I feel really confident about your ability to maintain your status quo is for the the things that we just mentioned you know that the, the checklist of all those positive things that you're doing right and it's not that you've just awoken to these changes in your life and you've just you know uh, developed some routine around these changes you've been at this now for several years you've been plant-based for multiple years yeah. your sister's doing it with you your family's on board you've you've been 
lifestyle focused, even despite the challenges since a kid, very active. You make wise, deep thinking decisions. And all of this shouts to me, I've got this, you know, you like, it's going to take a, it's going to take what happened to me, which Mm. is worth just warning again. I got complacent and I ate a huge, like dripping oily veggie burger with a large bowl of sweet potato (laughs) fries, which, which threw me off. And I'd been rock solid for years. So Mm. just don't do that. Mm. And 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 it looks very very good. Like if I if you were a stock on the Nasdaq or the Dow Jones, you know, or, or the or the Australian <laughs> stock market, I, I would invest in your stock and say you're oh. going to, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I, I would put my money on you. Yeah. Um, and and the little bit of alcohol here and there, especially if it's only wine and it's not beer, a little bit mm. of red wine here and there. I don't think I can't find any studies and any anecdotal stories of that being really detrimental. So if you are going yeah. to drink, if you are going to have a little cheat, uh, a little red wine here and there appears, as far as I can tell from my current knowledge, uh, n- not that great of a risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like I say, I think it's just being aware, you know, aware. you know, and, um, yeah, which I think naturally anyone that's listening probably is always naturally aware of what's going on and what they're eating and putting in their bodies and fueling themselves with. But yeah, you know, I think that's, yeah, just being aware and, yeah, trying to be as healthy as we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, any talks of uh, marriage with, uh, with, with the man? <laughs> oh, poor Sam. I feel like, you know, we're 28, you know, he's, oh, he's 30, I'm nearly 29, and I feel like this year the pressure's gone on. <laughs> Friends are getting married and having babies. and um, But, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully in the near future. That would be nice. <laughs> yes, because not trying to play things forward too much and jump the gun, but, you know, the, the, there is like a now very clear pathway if you wanted to start a family. Yes. You know, there's, nothing, yeah. there's nothing in the way anymore. It's um, funny you say that. It's the first thing my rheumatologist said. He said, he said, don't want to, you know, be devil's advocate, but, you know, now would be a good time to have babies. And I was like, soon, <laughs> pump the brakes soon. That's right. Yeah. Chill out, everyone. Chill out, yeah. everyone. I'm not, not married yet, but, uh, yeah, no pressure. No pressure yeah. for a proposal. Let, let's um, let that one uh, just take its natural course. And, exactly. Uh, you know, as as guy to girl, as soon as the girl starts to feel like the pressure is coming, it can actually be a, like the have the opposite effect. It's a weird sort of phenomenon. Yeah, um, I think it's so, just got to try and let it happen naturally. Exactly. Like yeah. The happy, chilled, full of love, full of happiness, and and new lease on life, Alana is going to be the exact sort of person that uh, that's going to you know be you know attract that sort of action you know yeah yeah that's yeah. it <laughs> yeah so have we missed anything that you wanted to share or is there some things that you do that you think are particularly helpful i know you mentioned exercise and uh that we sort of beat that horse a lot on this show but um mm. uh, talk about that briefly and also is there anything else i mean is there you know complete open question yeah, I think rest, which I haven't really mentioned much, rest and sleep is huge um, and has been for me. And learning to let my body rest and, you know, saying no, I think is really important when, you know, you can beat yourself up and go, I don't want to miss that event, especially 
having rheumatoid arthritis growing up through those years when you don't want to miss things with your friends. But I really had to get to a point where I had to say no and learn to do that for my body and be okay with it. But just knowing that rest is productive, you're not wasting time by resting or napping. I think I'm a type A personality. So naturally I sort of, I want to be productive always. I'm trying to tick things off my list, but I really had to sort of bring that down and learn to rest essentially. So that was a big one for me. Um, But trusting my body was a really big one that I haven't mentioned. Um, I think um, a lot of rheumatologists say, you know, that your body is attacking itself. And that really, I think, ate away at me a little bit as a child and growing up um, because immediately you don't trust your body then. You feel like it's a strange thought, but it feels like the inside of your body isn't doing the right thing for you. And it, it is, you know, they say it's attacking itself. So you're sort of going, oh, well, like anything could happen at any time if, if that's what's happening in my body, you know, which created quite a bit of anxiety for me, you know, that came and went throughout the years. Um, so I think, you know, I read a medical medium book and a quote which really flipped that mindset for me probably around the same time, five, six years ago. I wrote it down here because I wanted to share it. Um, You know, he said that, you know, your body is working for you every day. Um, You know, it's a pathogen invader that your body is detecting, but it's working to attack and get rid of rather than, you know, your body is attacking itself. Um, And I think, you know, that for me really flipped that mindset on its head. And from there, I sort of was like, okay, I trust my body. I love my body. You know, it's working for me. And yeah, I can try and possibly heal from that. So that was a big one. But other than that, just, yeah, I think it's really important to educate yourself and and do as much research as you can to come across programs like your own, Clint. I think, you know, these are the programs that have given me hope and, and sort of faith over the years that, yeah, healing is possible, but it, it can take a long time. So I think it's important to be really patient and and be grateful for the little wins. You know, like you say, it's not about getting off medication, but, you know, lowering your symptoms or if you you know if you have crp inflammation that shows up like getting that a little bit lower things like that like yeah being happy with the little wins and being grateful for those little things is really important as well but yeah i mean it's it's really you know it's been my whole life really that i've dealt with it and you know to be honest it's really made me who i am today um yeah i think growing up i was very competitive and all that and yeah i think having arthritis sort of opened up my world a bit and yeah it's made me a bit more of an empath I'm more understanding that you know yeah whilst someone might look fine um from the outset and they look like healthy and they can exercise it doesn't mean that they're okay you know people have things going on that you just don't know about and that's the thing with the invisible illnesses isn't it people just don't know and yeah so it's a yeah it was it's been a whole part of my life but I wouldn't change it in a strange way I think yeah it's made me who I am today and you know, health is a huge passion of mine now and I love talking about it and, um, you know, sharing all aspects of health with friends and people and, yeah, it's amazing and, yeah, I feel, I feel blessed, yeah. Do you want to reveal your Instagram handle or would you prefer not to? I'm a teacher, so it is okay. on um, somewhat private, but, I yeah, I'll reveal it. It's just um, Alana Renee, so R-E-N-E-E dot D. I am on private, but, yeah, if anyone would like to follow me, that's fine, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but I am a teacher, so I have to, you know, do the right thing with all that. But, yeah, I think 
yeah, it's all about, you know, creating a lifestyle that works for you and that's going to look different for everybody. Um, it's very situational and individualised what that's going to be. But, yeah, it takes a while. But I, you know, found a lifestyle and a life that, yeah, works well for me and my health, yeah. Do you feel that eating this way and having this lifestyle kind of makes you feel emotionally, spiritually lighter? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's given me, you know, some control. Yeah. Like quite a lot of control over my own health. Whereas, yeah, I felt like previously, like I, you know, didn't have control over my body. What, what's my body going to do tomorrow? But mm-hmm. by doing that, it gives me some sense of control and, and gosh, I feel so good for it. Yeah. My energy, everything. And yeah, you know, I've become quite a routine eater now. Um, and it's just how I, how I live and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. How I feel. Mm. Well, congratulations. It's uh, been very interesting to listen to you and also been fun to, you know, bounce things around and have a bit of a laugh as well. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. Like I said, you just come across as having such a, a rounded perspective on on what you're doing that I don't have to be concerned that you're going to go and you have a big, crazy, wild night out and just ruin it all. So. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, keep, keep it's it's uh, you know like my wife uh, points out. Uh, sometimes she says uh, you're even better for skipping a meal uh, than eating an awful one. Uh, mm. You're not going to die by going to bed hungry one night, but it will mess up your life if you eat something absolutely disastrous if there's nothing else on the menu. So we yeah. can all get by without one meal once a year if we need to at an event or something where there's nothing there. Social compliance is only complying with people who are less, less kind of aware and less knowledgeable about these things. So you're stepping down yep. and up. Uh, yep. And so don't do any of that. Be an advocate for all the things that we do and we talk about. Uh, share as share with everyone, and uh, and uh, it's going to be it's going to all continue to be awesome. So thanks, Alana. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.